Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. All right, if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. Uh, we, we started talking on uh, New Year's Eve last Sunday uh, about recalibrating some things in our life. And so I gave you a list of, of seven things that we talked about recalibrating. Um, Campus Crusade for Christ actually puts this out. And so we made some commitments together last Sunday, if you missed, that we are going to seek God and not sin, that we're going to fear God and not men, that we're going to love God and not the world, that we're going to believe God and not the deceiver, we're going to obey God and not our appetites, we're going to serve God and not self, we're going to worship God and not comfort. So these were seven commitments that we made to one another. Another. And from this, <clears throat> excuse me, from this recalibration of our heart and making these commitments, then the Lord begins to reset some things back in order in our life. And so it, you, the, the resetting of things back in order are the things that are the most important, right? There's always a resetting. What's most important? Get back to what's most important. And one of the things that's most important for this house. Um, that, that we get to call reliance and do life with, with you guys and family with. One of the things that most, is most important, and it's no secret, is we love prayer. Amen? We love prayer. And so we call ourselves um, a, a prayer house or a house of prayer. And there's lots of reasons that we love prayer, but probably the biggest reason is just simply that Jesus comes in and the first thing he does when he gets into the temple, and, and he does it twice, there's two quotes on this in, in the Gospels, is he comes in and he'll flip tables and he'll say, my house shall be a house of prayer. And he's quoting the Old Testament. So if it's, if, if it's important enough for, for the Old Testament, and Jesus is bringing it into the New Testament, saying that the defining thing of my house is that it should be a house of prayer, then we've got to always get back on track with that. Amen. We've got to always get back on track with that. And so we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to add extra things in. We just want to put into practice what we already know Scripture says. We want to put that into practice. In fact, I was watching um, an NFL kind of post some postseason interviews as these guys are getting ready, these teams are getting ready. And they asked them, they said, what are you, what are you doing to prepare yourself for this postseason? What are you doing to prepare yourself for these playoff games? And, you know, a lot of people might think, you know, they're, they're really going over all these different schemes and trying to get really, really good at some of this new stuff. And almost every single one of these guys said the same thing. They're hitting the sleds, they're practicing their tackling, and they're hitting the bags. Chiefs player says we're working on catching the ball. Amen? Serious, seriously, it's ridiculous now. Somebody pray. But here's really what they're saying. We're just going back to the things that are simple that we, that we already know how to do, but we need to continue to work on those things. This is why prayer is one of those things. It's not like, hey, we got really awesome at it, now we don't have to do it anymore. We got really good at it. It's, it's a rhythm that we constantly go back and put in to practice in our life. Because I would tell you, and we've said this, out of all the disciplines, whether it be reading the word or Sabbathing or whatever the disciplines are in, in your life, sometimes the prayer life is the one discipline we struggle with the most. Amen? And so today, really we just want to prime the pump. 
And when I think about priming a pump, I used to build pools way back in the day in college. And you, you have this huge pool that's got, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons of water. And you've got a pump. And to prime the pump, you take a small bucket of water. And you take just that small bucket of water and you put it in the pump. And it primes it. And then it begins to flush or it begins to actually get all of those thousands and thousands of gallons of water. It pushes it through. Just a little tiny bucket of water can cause a great torrent of water to go through that pump, right? And so the reason that we gather on Sundays and we pray, the reason we have gatherings on Monday mornings and Thursday mornings and we pray, the reason that other churches are doing this, New Life and South Life and churches around the city are gathering together to pray is because all that's to do is to prime your pump so that while you're living your life, that's just a gathering, that while you're living your life, there's thousands of prayers that are just continually coming out of you. Amen? So this is what we're doing. We're just priming, we're just priming the pump. And, and I think it's important, um, F.B. Meyer, he's an author of a little book called The Secret of Guidance. He said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer. The great tragedy of life is unoffered prayer. And I think, man, how, how true that is. We just simply don't offer our prayer to the Lord um, like he uh, calls us to do, which we're going to see today. And, and some of that is because we have short attention spans. Anybody? out there, some, people are like, yeah, it's me, how long are you going to preach today, right? Um, we've got short attention spans. I, I was reading this study, and it says that our attention spans are, are getting shorter and shorter. A Google study tells us that 53% of users on Google will abandon a page if it takes longer than three seconds to load. It's ridiculous. Do you remember the days where it took an hour to get to the library to do your research, and we can't wait three seconds? We got problems, people. Amen? We got problems. And so this is why we're constantly resetting our heart, because our attention spans aren't there. And so when you think about prayer, it takes time, and it takes some effort, and it takes some energy to go, Lord, I'm going to get before you. And that's just getting before him. That's not talking about just constantly walking around and having prayer that's uh, constantly unceasing in our hearts. And so today in Ephesians 6, he tells us why this is going to be so important. Because there is warfare against you right now. There's a battle against you right now. And he's going to say that it's not flesh and blood, but against forces in the heavenly places. That there's some things that are waging war against you every day of your life. And then he's going to tell us how to armor up, and he's going to wrap it up in a bow with prayer. Listen to his word here and why this is really important. And by the way, it's going to go along with what Paul says in Colossians 4, 1 Peter, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, and Paul will say in 1 Corinthians that we are to be alert and in prayer, alert and in prayer, alert and in prayer. There's something about prayer that makes us alert. L listen, there's something. That's why Jesus going into the garden in his last hours asked the disciples, will you stay up and pray with me? He needed some alertness there because the enemy was coming. Will you stay up with me and be alert? And he comes back and what were they doing? They were sleeping and he says those famous words, could you not tarry with me? Could you not go hard with me in prayer, being alert for one more hour? Could you not do it? And I think that for us as the church, this should be the catapult force in this year in 2024. Lord, we have alertness in prayer because we know the enemy is out there. And here's what he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Ephesians 6.10, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and, and, and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly 
places. So how do we stand up against the schemes of the devil? We're going to armor ourselves up. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, as for shoes for the feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now here, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication so praying at all times with all prayer and supplication to that end keep everybody say alert with all perseverance making supplications for all the saints keep alert with prayer and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So he's going to give this awesome word. And you've, many of you have studied the armor of God and we've gone through this. And, and what we see when we study the armor of God, this truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and word. All of those things that we're armoring up in is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. It's how we defeat the schemes of the devil. And so all of this spiritual battle is actually tied together in prayer. How we exercise truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation in the word, how we begin to exercise that, he wraps it up in verse, in verse 18 by saying, praying at all times in the spirit. So this armor works, this armor comes together as we begin to pray in the spirit. At all times. Amen, church? And so when I, when I began to think about this, I began to think, you can have all this armor. <clears throat> you, can, you, can, you can have truth that you're trying to put on and righteousness and peace and faith and all these things that you're trying to put on. But if you look at prayer as the communication with God, if you look at prayer as I'm sending prayers up and he's sending responses down, if that's how we begin to look at prayer, without our calms, you can have all the armor in the world and you're still going to be blind. And I was thinking about this. I like to watch um, shows like on Navy SEALs and, you know, all these different things. And you've got these guys. These are tough dudes, right? And they've got all the gear in the world, but they'll say one of the best pieces of gear that they have is their comms, their communications. It tells them where the enemy is at. It tells them where they're coming from. It tells them what the schemes and the strategies are of the enemy. And when they need lifted out of somewhere, it tells somebody where to come and get them at. So you can have all of this armor, but if you don't have communication with somebody pointing out where the enemy is at, you feel like you are in a blind spot, amen? It's the same thing with the Lord. We can be putting armor on all day long, but if we don't have communication with the Lord where he's pointing out the enemy's schemes, we're in trouble. And so we need communication with the Lord. And so that verse 18 saying, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication, what that simply means is this. This is a conscious mindset, a conscious heart set that is set on the Lord at all times. It's the same thing that 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. How in the world do you pray without ceasing? How do you pray at all times in the spirit? It simply means that God is always on the forefront of your heart and your mind. He's always there. He, you're, you're God conscious in everything that you do. 
You're God conscious in every step that you take. Driving down the road, you're God conscious. Drive, you know, going into work, you're, you're God conscious. There's a God consciousness in everything you do. And let me say this. It is very hard for the enemy to get a foothold. How does he get a foothold? Through lies, deceit, uh, deception, enticing you into something that may try to get to your flesh. He's very good at those things. But it's hard for the enemy to get a foothold when your mind is set on the Lord at all times. And it's, it's why one of my, Psalm 16 is like my jam this year. It's my 2024. David says these words, I put the Lord ever before me. And that has resonated with me. And I'm like, Lord, I'm going to make that my verse this year. I'm going to put you ever before me. Here's what David said. The Lord is ever before me. He's the one who goes before me. So everything that I see in life is the Lord first. I see through him in everything I do in life. So when you put the Lord ever before me, I'm always God conscious in my heart and my mind. Amen? And so this is what it looks like to pray without ceasing in these moments. We're recalling his presence. We're recalling his word. We're recalling his truth. And we're in constant communication with the Lord. I believe this is what uh, Jesus was talking about in John 15, 5, when he says, abide in me. I will abide in you. Dwell in me. Remain in me. I think what he's saying is just make sure that your heart is in this posture where you're always God conscious of me. You're, 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 I'm in the forefront of your heart, in the forefront of your mind. And so I want to Put that to the side for just a minute, and I want to do some work on this. I want to give you some practical things just for this new year on, on this Sunday. What does it look like to begin to grow in prayer? And I'm going to give you seven points. Why seven? I don't know, because it's complete and biblical. Amen? I'm sure there's 50 uh, up there, but we're going to go seven. Okay? And I'm going to share these with you, and, and I want you to begin to think about how you can implement these in your life. Why do we pray? What does prayer begin to do? And again, we're just priming the pump. Most of these things you probably know, but we're just going back and putting these things into practice. I want to stir you to be prayers. I want to stir you to be prayers. Not to come to prayer meetings. Come to prayer meetings, but not just to come to prayer meetings. I want to stir you that you're praying at all times in the Spirit. Amen? You're not coming to a prayer meeting to pray, and then you leave, and you're not praying anymore. You come to the prayer meeting to get stirred so that when you leave, you're constantly praying in the Spirit. Amen? Okay. So... Before, so number one, before all things, prayer draws us to a place of intimacy. This is God's heart for you and I. He's not looking for buddy-buddy. He's looking for this father-sonship inside of us, amen? He's looking for this bride-bridegroom intimacy with us. And so prayer draws us into a place of intimacy. I like to say that prayer is the language of intimacy there is my wife and I have language between one another that I don't share with anybody else my wife and I have language between one another that is just between her and I reserved for her hers is reserved for me it's a language of intimacy between us and it's the same thing with prayer that's reserved the Lord has things for you and you have things for him amen you have prayers that you're lifting up to him he's got answers and he's got, he's got a desire of relationship that's coming down on you. So prayer begins to bring the Father's heart to a place of intimacy with us. I, I think about most of us in our prayer life. Most of us have an ambulance chaser prayer mentality. You see the ambulance, what do you do? In other words, when emergencies come, then our prayer life comes out. So our language to the Lord is in an intimate prayer life of going, I care deeply about your heart, you care deeply about my heart. Most of the time, our language with prayer is, oh, there's an accident, we should pray. Or we are I IRS prayer warriors. You know what that is? We, we only knock on the door when we need something. 
You know what I'm talking about? The IRS is coming to your house only if they need something from you. So we only knock on God's door if we need something from him, not necessarily because we have relationship with him. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? And so it brings us to this place of intimacy. And so when, when we pray on all occasions in the spirit, here's what it does. It brings that awareness to us that God has us and we start to learn the familiarity of his voice. We start to learn the familiarity of his characteristics. This is how we begin to build an Elijah awareness in our life. If you know the story of Elijah, he had a run-in with the prophets of Baal. He prayed, fire came down and consumed him, uh, consumed the prophets and now there were people after him to kill him. And so where we find Elijah at is he's sitting under a tree and he's crying out to the Lord, Lord, take my life. He's depressed. He, he feels like everybody's against him after he's done this miraculous thing. So the Lord restores him, then takes him up to a mountain to the face of a cave, puts him in the cave. And now this is the Elijah awareness. An earthquake comes, but Elijah stays in the back of the cave. He doesn't come out thinking it's the Lord. A fire torrent comes. It says like a, a wind of fire comes. And still Elijah doesn't come out because he says he doesn't hear the Lord's voice in the fire. And then he still says this. He says he hears the still small voice of the Lord. And it says he wraps a cloak around his face and he comes out. How in the world did he not see the Lord in an earthquake and a fire torrent, but he heard the still small voice? Because he had an intimate relationship through prayer with the Father. Amen. We have an Elijah awareness that God is calling us to. It's an intimacy with him where we know his voice amongst all the other noise. And it's in this place we begin to see that intimate relationship grow. So before all things, God cares deeply about having an intimate uh, 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 conversation, an intimate prayer life with us where he's downloading heaven and we're uh, uploading the things that are on our heart and we're building relationship with one another. Number two. Number two, so prayer draws into place in intimacy. Number two, prayer forces us to wait. <laughs> forces us to wait. Um, we talk about Braveheart a lot. You guys, any Braveheart fan? Yeah. Woo -woo. All right. We talk about Braveheart a lot. So um, Michaela Swiler, um, she's come on staff this past year, and we're always talking about Braveheart around here. We love Braveheart. She's never watched the movie. I'm like, are you even saved? You know what I'm talking about. And so... So, so over the new year, this year, over the new year, her husband, her husband and her sat down, Justin and her sat down, and, and they watched Braveheart. And so she comes in, she goes, you won't believe what we watched on New Year's Eve. I said, what'd you watch? She goes, we watched Braveheart. And I go, best movie ever. And she goes, worst movie ever. <laughs> Fired her on the spot. I've got you guys. I just let her go. No, I said, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, it's gory and it's bloody and, you know, the, the, the woman dies and then he dies and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, it's a love story. She dies, he dies for her. They don't live happily ever after, but it's beautiful, right? And, but, but she's walking through this with me. And so I was like, I'm going to go back and watch it again because I've watched it three times this year already. But I'm going to go back and watch it again. And there's this part in the movie that I absolutely love. If you remember it, all of William Wallace and his army standing there, and they've got a cavalry coming against them. And in those days, the cavalry would slaughter just foot soldiers, right? They would just slaughter them. And so what they don't know is that Mel Gibson and his crew, they've got long spears. I'm just setting this up. You're like, where are you going with this? I'll land this plane, all right? They got long spears. And so the cavalry's marching against them, and there's this moment in the movie, and it's just like this epic moment where he says, hold, hold. You guys with me? 
And it's like they're bouncing back. The, the army's coming. The, the horses are marching. And hold. And you see all these guys in kilts like, what do you mean? You know, hold, hold. And you're like, it's going. Dee, 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 dee. And you're like, they're going to get slaughtered. And then he says, now. And they pick up the spears and the whole army dies. And it was awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. All right. And so they win that battle. Why? Because they didn't act before the time was set. They waited. And I feel like there's times in our life with the Lord, our, our relationship with the Lord, where in our prayer life, the Lord is going, hold. You're like, Lord, I, hold. Yeah, but there's enemy. Hold. Yeah, but I really got to hold. Yeah, but you don't understand. They're right here. Hold. And then he says, now, in that moment, you pick up your weapon, you kill the enemy. But if we go too early, the enemy sees what we've got. And if we go too late, we're done. And so he keeps us in this place where it's a holding pattern. So prayer forces us to wait on the Lord. Um, there, there's this beautiful scripture in 2 Samuel 5, 23. David, um, he's been going in and feeding the Philistines. Uh, uh, every time they rise up, David, it says, inquires the Lord, should I go and battle them? Yes. Should I go and battle them? Yes. Should I go and battle them? Yes. Every single time they rose up, David asked of the Lord, should I go and battle them? Now, here's why this is important, that he had a prayer language with the Lord, that he had an intimate prayer with the Lord. He gets to this place in 2 Samuel 5, 23. He had asked the Lord many times, should I go? Yes, yes. It was always yes. And then it says, when David inquired of the Lord, the Lord said, you shall not go up. Go around to their rear, come against them opposite the balsam trees, and when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. In other words, don't go, go around them, sit and wait. When you hear the sounds of, of what sounds like marching on the tops of the trees, then rouse yourself for then... In your waiting, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines. Now listen, what we've seen over and over and over in Scripture is whenever the armies of the Lord would go out without consulting the Lord, they would lose. And here David could have said, look, he's given me three yeses. Every time I ask him, he says, go and get them. I'm just not going to ask this time. I don't want to bother him. I just want to make sure that, that, you know, I asked him, I asked him, I asked him, he always gave me a yes, let's just go and let's just take care of business. And had he done that, he would have lost, and I'll tell you why. Because the Lord wanted David to know, there are moments where I say go, there are moments where I say wait. And you're only going to know that through this prayer relationship that we have. And if you would have gone out, David, you would have lost. But what I showed you was simply this, that if you waited on me, I would go before you and defeat them for you. Defeat them for you. It's why he says, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. Amen? How many guys are good at waiting in prayer? Number three, number three, prayer gives you and gets you into heaven's perspective. Gives you heaven's perspective and gets you in to heaven's perspective. It gets you to a place where you see everything through the lens of God. And this is so important that we see through his lens. We see in part, he sees in whole. We don't get to see the whole picture. He does. Prayer is seeing through heaven's perspective. And heaven's perspective is the way of the cross opened up victory. It's why Jesus, when he's praying with the loaves and fishes, he's got five loaves and two fish, and his disciples are going, there's no way you're going to feed this madness. 10,000 plus people here, you've got five loaves and two fishes. Jesus does what? He prays. 
And the moment that he prays, he sees his father's perspective. And what's heaven's perspective in his father's eyes? Everybody say abundance. The moment that he prayed, he saw heaven's perspective. And it's not that we lack, it's that we have everything in him. And the moment that he prayed, what happened to the loaves and the fishes? They multiplied, fed 10,000 people. Why? Because praying up to the Father changed his perspective. Praying up to the Father changes our perspective. It's why Jesus, before he healed people, whether it was the blind, whether it was the broken, whether it was uh, people that were paralyzed, when Jesus would pray, or when Jesus would go before them, he would always pray first, and he would offer up his prayer to his Father, and he would say, Father, here's a blind man, Father, and he would pray, and then he would get heaven's perspective, and heaven's perspective is there's no blindness in heaven. He would pray, and he would say, Father, and in heaven's perspective, there's no lame people in heaven. Amen? Because God is a healing God. God is restoring God. No more pain, no more sorrow. Somebody say amen. amen. This is heaven's perspective that comes down upon us. And how did he get this? He got it through prayer. He prayed to his father and his father downloaded heaven's perspective. He already knew it. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, but yet he shows us the way. Offer it up to the Lord. Watch what the Lord does. Prayer opens up our spiritual eyes to see what heaven's perspective is. It's one of my favorite verses. We've done work on it in here before. 2 Kings 6, 15. You know it as the story of Elisha and his servant boy. They are surrounded by an invading army. They're surrounded by an army, and um, this boy wakes up, and he's freaked out, and he says, he says, Elisha, that we're surrounded, chariots and horses and an army surrounding us, and his servant said to him, Master, what shall we do? And Elisha answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I always find that profound because it didn't say, first and foremost, that Elisha cried, Lord, where, what are you doing? Lord, where are you at? Elisha had such a relationship with God that he knew God was surrounding them. He knew it. So here's what he prays. He's going to pray that this boy's eyes are open like his eyes are open. Look what he prays. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes, and may he see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Prayer opens our eyes to heaven's perspective, enabling us to see what God is doing, see the things that we're blinded to without prayer. And then once we see those things, we speak out his promises. Amen, church? Number four, uh, prayer reminds us of our dependency upon him. Uh, we've talked a little bit about dependency and, and, and the struggle that we have with that. Um, when we pray, what we're saying is this, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I can't change this in my own strength. I can't move that mountain in my own strength. I can't move that heart in my own strength. I can't even move my own heart in my own strength. I need you. And so prayer puts us in a place of dependency. And that's why he says, when you pray in the spirit, pray on all occasions or pray all the time in the spirit. When you're praying in the spirit, you are declaring dependency upon him and his will because his spirit is in you. So you're saying what Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. You're praying dependency in him. You're praying, Lord, my, my, my spirit is willing, my flesh is weak, so I'm praying in the spirit. Spirit, I want your ways. I want your truth. I want the truth of God's word. I want to know your ways better than I want to know my ways. Everything changes when you put it in the hands of Jesus. Everything. When people pray, we're putting it in the hands of Jesus. 
Um, that's why the disciples would come to Jesus and they'd say, Jesus, we came up against something. We don't know what to do. Jesus, we don't know what to do. How should we handle it? And the first thing Jesus would do is he said, hang on a second, let me go to the Father. Go to the Father, get the download from the Father, that it would be for your glory, Father, and then he would give his answer. I love the book of Luke. If you get a chance to read this in the new year, read the book of Luke. Read every place where Jesus stopped to pray. Luke chapter 3, he prays before his baptism. Luke chapter 4, he prays when he's in the battle in the wilderness. Luke chapter 5, he prays. It says he withdrew, draw, he withdrew to a lonely place and he prayed. Luke chapter 6, it says he went to a mountainside to pray. Luke chapter 9, at the confession of who he is. Who do the crowd say I am? It says Jesus was praying in private with his disciples. Luke 18, Jesus is praying in the transfiguration. Luke 22, he's praying. Jesus is constantly praying and here we are going, I don't know if I really need that. What did Jesus do apart on his own, apart from prayer? Scripture says nothing. How do we know that? Because John 5, 19 says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. So we've got a problem, church. If this is what it says about Jesus, that Jesus says, I can do nothing by myself, only what I see my father doing, and you and I are trying to do Christianity on our own, we got a problem. If we don't think that our prayer life is that important, we got a problem. Prayer literally was, was nourishing him. In fact, I, the disciples, you, you've heard us say this. This is rhetorical stuff we've said before. The disciples had all the things. They didn't say, Jesus, would you teach us how to do miracles? Jesus, would you teach us how to do this? They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, here's the crazy thing. They already knew how to pray. These, 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 these young Jewish men grew up knowing that they had to go to synagogues at times. They were taught how to pray, but the kind of prayer that they were praying was not the kind of prayer that was nourishing them. It was just throwing something up, not expecting anything to happen. And so they saw something in Jesus with his prayer and devotion to the Father. and something that the Father would give down to that prayer and devotion. They're going, whatever that is, we want it. Whatever that kind of prayer. We know how to pray. We've been to the synagogue. We've been to the temple. Okay, we get that. What are you doing that stirs the God of the universe? That's the kind of prayer that we want you to teach us how to pray. And so Jesus is going to say in John 16, hey, there's a time coming where I'm not going to be here any longer, but my spirit's going to be within you. And then you don't have to ask me. You can ask the Father anything in my name, and he'll give it to you. And so we see this play out in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, every step of the way, read the book of Acts. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through, what will you find the believers doing constantly? Oh, you guys are smart. Constantly praying. All the time. Every single time that you read a chapter in Acts, you're, you're constantly finding the people are praying. The fundamental root conviction of the first church is we can do nothing without God. We must pray. And we think as the church today that we can do things without prayer. Or we'll gather 20 of us together in prayer. And yet the root conviction of the first church is we have to have it. And in the book of Acts, I just have to throw this out. Their prayer meetings weren't gathering to, hey, somebody open us with prayer and then somebody close us with prayer. Their, their gatherings were a prayer meeting. Full of prayer, full of scripture, full of fellowship. Prayer was just constantly happening in those meetings. I just think that's important to, to see. God... And listen, I want to say this for a few other. It's full dependency upon him, and we put full dependency upon him. He puts his full power in us. Ah, I want to show you this, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able, him, everybody say him. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. So he's doing a work and he's using you. So he's doing the work and he's putting his power in you. So the more dependent that I am upon him, the more power he's putting in me. I'm going to put my full dependency upon you. I'm going to be fully laid out. There's nothing that I can do without you, Jesus. And he's putting power in your weakness. Amen? His power's perfected in weakness. He's saying, I see your weakness. I'm going to put my power in that. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Number five. Number five. Why do we pray? It aligns our heart with God's heart. Simple. It aligns our heart with God's heart. There's... Now, this is, let me tell you why this is important, because I don't know about you, my heart's not always aligned with God's heart. There are days where I'm running in my heart motives and not his heart motives. Anybody in here? Somebody make me feel okay. Yeah? Okay, good. All right. So we've got, at times, different hearts, so prayer puts me back in a position for his heart. He's coming down. I'm praying, Lord, here's my heart. He goes, well, that's wonky, Carl. That's wonky, Right? And then he gives us his heart. He's like, let's get this thing back in realignment again. And do you know what happens when he gives us his heart? Satisfaction usually comes over your life. Oh, that's what I was missing. I was running my own ways. So it aligns our hearts back up with him again. Let me me show you this. When I'm praying in the spirit at all times, as as Paul says in Ephesians uh, 6.18, praying in the spirit at all times, I'm praying in the Spirit, and it means that I'm in agreement with what the Holy Spirit says, not with what Aaron says. I agree with what you say, Holy Spirit. You say his, I agree with it. That's his truth. I agree with that. You say that's a conviction. I need to be convicted. You say I shouldn't be doing that. I agree with it. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? When we're praying in the Spirit at all times, we're saying, whatever you say, Holy Spirit, whatever his word says, I'm in agreement with you. So it's putting our hearts back in alignment with the word. 1 John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I need to be lined up with his heart, because that's how he's going to hear me. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, where's the block then? James tells us in James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions so he's going there's a heart there's a heart that I can try to give to him that has my own passions in it and there's another heart that I can give and be like Lord I care deeply about your word because I'm praying in the spirit I'm in agreement with the spirit I'm in agreement with your word so I'm offering your promises and offering those things Lord would you move for your glory God would you transform our society for your glory God would you move in my neighbor for your glory he's like yes I want to do that so we see that we can have two different heart motives. Number six, real quick. Uh, prayer bolsters confidence in fellow believers. Paul said it in Ephesians 6. He goes, pray for me too, that I may be able to preach the gospel more boldly. That I may be able to preach the gospel more boldly. Um, in Acts chapter 12, we see Peter. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's got guards all around him. Herod's going to kill him. He's already killed James. Now he's going to ki- try to kill Peter. And so Peter's in prison in Acts chapter 2. And he's got guards all around him. And here's what we see the church doing in Acts, tw- in, in Acts 12 uh, verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now here's what we know about Acts chapter 12. They're praying for Peter. He's not even with them. He's in prison, and their prayers 
getting heaven's perspective or availing much, Peter's going to walk out, the, 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 the doors are going to swing open, his chains are going to fall off, he's going to walk by the guards, and they're not going to see him, and he's going to have a miraculous escape from prison because of what? The church was praying for him. Do we believe prayer is important? Good, because there's one more, seven. Prayer enables us to move forward. We will be stagnant and at a standstill if we don't have a fervent prayer life. We will be stagnant and at a standstill if we don't have a praying culture. We will be stagnant and at a standstill if we are not a church of prayer. Amen? Not a church with prayer, a church of prayer. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So this abiding in him, walking in him, praying without ceasing, this being rooted in him is what is moving us forward. It's where our boldness comes from. In Acts 4.31, it says that they had been praying, uh, they had just gone through uh, being beaten and thrown into prison. They got released, and it says they came back to the church, and when they had prayed, listen to this, and when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak of the word of continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What moved them forward is, and when they had prayed, a shaking happens, boldness comes over them, Holy Spirit's in them, and they're not staying there, they're moving out. They're, they're not going, oh, that felt really good. Uh, what are we gonna get for right lunch? Whatever. Like something stirs them. Holy Spirit comes in. Boldness comes over them. They are stirred. They've got boldness to go out now and do it again. It's what catapults the church forward is prayer. When they had prayed, God moved. So just wanted to give that quick setup because we're going to pray now. You guys ready to pray? Oh, we're going to pray. Seven things. Seven things. You can pray over strength for one another. Prayer to strengthen your faith. These are up here. Prayer for courage. Prayer for conquering fear and worry. Prayer prayer for doubt. Prayer for wisdom and guidance. Prayer for family. Prayer for freedom. There's lots of other things you can pray about. But if one of those sits kind of heavy on you, you're going to get in your groups. Five, six, eight, ten, doesn't matter. And I just want you to say, hey, guys, I could, and I just want you to be honest. We're family, right? Okay. Right? Okay. If that's you, hey, man, I need prayer for my family. I just want to offer that up. Somebody grab it and be like, I'm going to pray over you. We're going to pray for family. Hey, I need prayer for freedom. Hey, I need prayer for doubt. Hey, I need prayer for fear and worry. Hey, I need prayer for courage. Whatever it is, you're going to gather around one another and you're going to pray. And if there's something else that's not on there, fine, just throw it out. But I want to be intentional for our prayer and I want to watch God do a work. Amen? Are you guys with me? So, Father, we know that prayer is important. Your word says it, why we should pray. And now, God, I pray as we gather in our groups, this is what we're praying for. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. And when they had prayed, Holy Spirit filled them again. And when they had prayed, great boldness came over them. I pray that over our crew today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day-to-day. Until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.